We are back. Welcome to Don't Call It a Book Club. My name is Luke. My name is Daniel. And we are doing another episode of King Killer. This is our second episode. Uh, before we get into the book, we're going to do another one of our little, you know, warm-up exercises where we talk about something else. Yeah, it's a warm-up. Yeah, that's what, that's what we're calling it. I want to talk about people wanting you to pay it forward, Dan. And I don't want to do this for too long because I think it's pretty a pretty common complaint. I don't think I'm the first person to complain about this. Mm-hmm. Like, it's definitely not a hot take. Yeah. I'm just... I, I hate it. I hate when people want me to pay something forward. You know what I mean? Like the obvious example is if you're, you know, going through the drive through at like Starbucks or something and the cashier says, oh, the person in front of you paid for your bill. Do you want to pay for the person behind you? Oh, no, definitely not. No. <laughs> uh, that's I think that's a pretty common example of people getting frustrated with it. My example comes from work. So just for people listening to this, we are recording around Halloween time and people at work, at my work, started doing this thing where you make like a big bag of treats or something creative and you bring it in and you sneakily put it on two people's desks and then the people that get it now have to do make a really fancy treat and put it on another two people's desks. I don't I don't want to do that. <laughs> okay. So then if you're one of the people that gets two or one of the two people that gets a treat, then you have to also make a treat for two different people. Dan, I I don't want to do that. <laughs> and here's the thing, I don't I didn't want a treat in the first place. Like I don't I'm perfectly, if, if someone gives me like a little candy bar, like, cool, I'll, I'll eat it. That's super nice. Thanks for that. If you spend like 30 minutes making me a really cool or like kind of fancy little, I don't know, Halloween themed candy box or something like that, that's super thoughtful. Like, you know, I, I'm not a big candy person, but I can see that you went through a lot of effort for that. Thank you. That's super nice. I, I don't want to do that, though. <laughs> don't force me to do that. Then it completely negates the nice thing that you did. This is exactly the problem, Luke, is it's not nice anymore. You're giving someone homework. Right. And it's like, if you know, if you like doing that, that's awesome. Do that. That's People would appreciate it. I don't like doing that. <laughs> So I completely, when you do that, it goes from me thinking that you're super nice to me hating you. Yeah. <laughs> this happened to me on Thursday. I'm not going to say it ruined my day, but it definitely ruined my morning. It's <laughs> not happy about it. Yeah, that's honestly, that's pretty rude because right? here's my problem. So we used to, we used to do stuff like this when I was growing up around the neighborhood and it was called you it was called like booing the neighbors where you would make like a goodie treat and put a little sign on it and you left it on their doorstep and rang their doorbell and ran away. And you had to, when they got this gift, they had to then put a sign on their door that said that they had been booed and then they had to do it to somebody else in the neighborhood. 
that's exactly what this is right it's even it's called the same thing yeah yeah okay so when we were kids this was awesome because every kid loves sweets and like sweets treats and delicious candies uh but adults typically aren't super hype about sweets treats and other goodies and adults if they want sweets treats and delicious eats they go to the store and they buy it or they make it for themselves and so it's not even that it's nice if they bring something and leave it for the whole office to share like hey I brought these goodies. I just wanted to express this. And anybody can take or not take them if they want to. I'm just going to leave it on this communal desk. Happy Halloween, everyone. I'm feeling festive. Great. I cannot take one and not feel bad. I can. I don't have to throw away this thing that you worked for I don't know how long on because I'm not going to eat it and I don't have anybody to give it to. Right? I can just not take one. Fine. Great. But if you put it on my desk... It's mine to deal with. And then on top of that, I have to put something on someone else's desk and make it theirs to deal with. Luke, I feel like I feel like this game has a lot of regifting potential. Oh yeah, that's what I did. That is fantastic. Can you tell me Can you tell me how quickly you regifted this because I like to think you that it was placed on your desk and you immediately picked it up and put it on someone else's desk. <laughs> Well, okay. It's very, mine was very, the person that did me clearly spent a lot of time on it. So mine was very recognizable. So I didn't do the whole thing. I just took a few pieces of candy. This is brilliant. (laughs) Okay. I don't know why I'm lying to you. I, I didn't make a treat for anyone else. I didn't do it. (laughs) I just kept it. I mean, that's not a problem. Because here's the thing. I think I was being nice. Now the other person that I would have given it to doesn't have to do it. Maybe everyone hates doing it. I think I think it's there's like a couple people with probably kids that are yeah. already doing something very similar. So they bring it in. It's annoying. But okay. <laughs> That's probably enough on that. Enough of our warm-up exercise. Let's get into the book. We are again reading The Name of the Wind by Patrick Rothfuss. Mm-hmm. And we are about halfway through now. I think, let me double check. We have read through chapter 46. So if you have not read that far, you might you might get spoiled. Just read it. It's good. Right. J- just just read, read it. You can come back this to isn't this. A, this. This isn't a live podcast. You can listen later. Well, to all um, of our live listeners right now, it, it is a live podcast. Luke. Shouts out <laughs> right. to everybody in the live stream. Pretty convincing there, Dan. Thanks. Uh, so <laughs> what has just happened, if you don't know chapter numbers, is... Quoth has just talked to Elodin, Master Master Elodin. Yeah. About trying to become his pupil and he has jumped off of the roof. Yeah. So that's that's the part that we're at. Cause he thought he was he thought Elodin was gonna make him fly. He didn't. Yeah, I don't I don't he didn't no, he didn't he didn't at all. He also knows uh, Elodin is is not sane, so Yeah, it was pretty it was a risky move. It was a bold move, which Quoth's all about bold moves. But let's start back at the beginning of this section that we read. So we ended last episode with Quoth's family getting murdered. Pretty brutal. But the next thing that happens is he kind of goes crazy a little bit. 
He plays his loot for about four months straight, which honestly I was a little impressed by. I know. I know. I was too. Well, I always wonder what his fingers would have looked like after that. He, he talked often about how many calluses he had. And how did he not break a string sooner, Luke? This is my biggest issue with that That's whole a good section. Point. I agree. String would have broken like no time at all. It's outside. He's keeping it outside, basically. That thing is going to get destroyed. Right, right. Here's, okay. Are you ready for my super sophisticated discussion about uh, pros? Yes. I don't know if it's pros. So when he goes crazy, the Patrick Rothfuss writes in like really short, quick, non-very descriptive sentences. Oh, yeah. And I think it's kind of to signify that he's like crazy, you know, because the rest of the story is very elaborate sentences and very descriptive and that kind of thing. And I kind of noticed that. And then I wanted to give him a little credit for it. But then I thought about a little bit deeper about it. And in reality, this is, quote, the adult telling this story. That's right. He's not crazy when he's telling this story. No. He should not be doing little, he should not be changing his storytelling style. Well, but I think he would, Luke, for the same reason that you're about to get Pat, give Patrick props for it. Oh, so you, okay. So you think, quote, in the story is doing the same thing as what I thought Patrick Rothfuss was doing? Yes. Wow. Right. Good stuff, Quoth. That's why he said not change a single damn word. Oh, man. Because he was like... He prepared this for sure. Oh, he's been working on this. That's what he's been doing as he's been hiding out, is he's been writing his freaking memoir. But he can't, you can't self-publish your memoir. Right. You just Especially like, in, this, in this day and age. Well, yeah. But you also... You just look needy. Right. For sure. So, and then after that, I guess he breaks a couple strings... And can't play the lute anymore, which is his cue for going somewhere else, apparently. And he goes to Tarbian. Mm-hmm. And the first thing I noticed was, I think when he gets there, he says something along the lines of, that was like the first night of three years that I stayed in Tarbian. Good Lord. Three years? Yeah, for being a genius. Kid's not very bright. He, he passes it off a little bit later in one of the interludes as basically just, I think he says something along the lines of we're all creatures of habit. So he just kind of stayed in that habit. And maybe to some degree that's true. But I feel like the more honest answer would have been just like, yeah, I was an idiot. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, <laughs> I don't have a whole lot to say about this except how is he not dead? Like, he should have been dead so many times, and he's not dead. How come he's not dead, Luke? Like, you mean he should have died in Tarbian? He should have died in Tarbian. He should have died when he jumped off that roof. He should have died. I think he... This is another example of somebody telling a story to somebody else that we we talked a little bit about when we were talking about Hyperion, but he's telling a story to somebody else. Stories sound way cooler if you almost die a million times. True. He should be dead so many times. Yeah, that's definitely fair. Especially a couple of street fights he gets in sound pretty brutal. And I mean, I guess kids heal a lot easier or more quickly than adults do. But there's times when he like gets punctured lungs. And 
I don't know, just some crazy stuff. And then he just like sleeps it off on a roof. It's like, oof. Or he gets stabbed by a dirty glass shard and he just, yeah, he sleeps it off on the roof and is totally fine. It's like, that's going to, like, at least your leg would get amputated because of how infected it was. You lost lost a leg. leg. Come on, bud. I will say, if you're telling a story and you're trying to make yourself sound like the good guy, probably not going to leave in the part where you tried to burn a kid alive. Just like quick tip. Hey, Quoth, burning people alive, even if they are kind of assholes to you, not really a good move. Not, not chill, Quoth. It's not what we like to see. (laughs) And as of the story right now, could have totally left that part out. Yeah. Maybe he's trying to give himself some legitimacy. Like we're already questioning some of the things that he put in. Maybe he throws that in just so that we're, you know, like, oh, maybe he's telling the whole truth because why would he tell that? Yeah. Why would he say that he tried to burn a kid alive and also talk about how he gets close to dying every five minutes? Yeah. Um, Pretty freaking manipulative quote of your of your readers. Yeah. Quote. Uh, however, Luke, Luke, I got a little, you know, we're entering Halloween and at Halloween they sell candy in sizes that they really shouldn't be selling candy in those sizes, like the little bite size. Right. Yeah, it's just size. like, yeah, it's not fun. Nobody thinks it's fun. I will say though, I got a little fun size theory. Uh, and that's that I think his name is, is it Pike or Pike? I just, <laughs> I just, can we talk about that? That little process you just took us through. <laughs> yeah, it's a fun Love. size theory. <laughs> okay. I loved it. Continue. It's a little too small, but I'm still going to throw it in anyway. I'll throw it in your basket. You're coming around for trick or treat. Oh, man. This is impressive. Anyway. Uh, Pike? Is it Pike or Pike? I I think it's just Pike. Okay. So, Pike, um, he is a priest. And oh. after he got burned, he went and joined the priesthood. And I think... Either, A, he was the priest that sparked, quotes memory about the Chaldeans, which, if you remember the scene, he's like, I don't, I think he's getting bread from someone, and he sees a priest that has their face in shadow, and he's reminded of the shadowy figure. Um, yeah. Either that's Pike, or uh, we're going to find Pike later on, and he's going to be in involved with the whole scarpy thing now why a priest you might ask do you ask that luke i i would i would ask that yeah yeah so he's a priest for two reasons one priests okay he almost got burned alive this is the dude that quoth tried to burn alive priests wear like coverings over most of their body so he'd be able to hide a good amount of these like very bad burns also the priest's take like kind of take care of kids a little bit like they don't do nearly as much as they probably should but after he got almost burned alive he might be a a case that they would spend a little bit more time with the last one is pike mentions when we first meet him that he's like kind of into the whole the whole priest thing and the other kids like make fun of him for it are you sure this is Pike? I thought it was like a third kid that they were with. That was yeah, now this. that you mention it, I think it was a third kid. I think it was a third kid now that you mention it. Uh, but I'm going to say that third kid convinced Pike to do it. 
solid evidence. So, Pike's a priest now. Officially, yeah. He's he's he'll come into play later. We'll see. Oh, he's gonna be the he's gonna be the arch nemesis of Quoth. Which, why does Quoth always have an arch enemy? He's he's got he's kind of a dick. I'm assuming. Fair enough. I don't have very many arch enemies. I would say none. I, I don't know if I've ever had an arch enemy. Yeah, I don't think so either. Maybe that just means we're not important enough in the story, Luke. <laughs> we're not main characters. That's probably fair. Which I'm fine with. I've never considered myself a main character. Oh, <laughs> uh, that's... Yeah. I I want to talk... I think we don't quite... In this... In our podcast, the style that we do, we kind of make fun of things a lot. So I want to take a moment, give a little credit to the book. I think it's super cool the way he talks about music or writes about music. Like, so there's a couple parts. The part where he's actually before he gets to Tarbian and he's playing his mm-hmm. lute and he works really hard to just define like noises or sounds or feelings. Uh, I think that part's super cool. Yeah. There's another part a little bit later when actually after Tarbian, when he gets the, uh, he's, he's in that caravan and he find he sees, he gets to touch that lute for the first time in like four years or whatever. And the way that it's written that he plays it, I just think is super cool. So I, I think we need to acknowledge just briefly, cause I know we're going to be stupid about the book for the rest of this episode, but, uh, I don't know. I think that that kind of thing is super cool. Yeah, my favorite part the the scene that I think of is is that scene after he leaves Tarbian and is reunited with Alut, and he the the reactions everyone's the descriptions of the reactions that everybody else has I think make that scene so good and the the scene of the like girl who he's kind of into like hopelessly sobbing after he plays this piece and you're like damn yeah. I I wrote down in my notes something similar as well, where they, in this circumstance, and I think in a lot of other fantasy novels, this one especially, though, are in a whole different level of appreciating music than we are. Because this is, the thing that he plays is an instrumental, right? Like, he's not singing. There's no lyrics that go along with it. Yeah. I mean, granted, it's assumed that he's super good in his, like, spent so much time being able to play or working on being able to play feelings and that kind of thing. But the idea of someone hearing a person play an instrumental and then breaking into just hopeless sobs, I'm just, I'm just impressed at her level of just understanding music. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm totally with you on this uh, because you have to have some kind of understanding of music to understand that what he's playing is tragically sad right i mean the the alternative is he got really good at expressing himself on the loot which is kind of he talks about a little bit but i don't know i feel like it's still you have to have some understanding of what he's doing and if that's the case like if he can express himself to people that have no musical background at all then the dude who he borrowed his loot should have just been inconsolable he should have just been <laughs> a freaking puddle right right he and he you would think he would just like let him keep it he'd be like yeah you buddy you deserve this yeah <laughs> which there is a part where uh so it's kind of set up 
where this dude that he borrows the loot from is kind of a dick. But then just from, from Quoth's perspective, he's probably not actually, but he's talking to the girl that Quoth likes. So, <laughs> so apparently he's a dick. Uh, and the girl, I think her name is Dinah, uh-huh. is asking Quoth to continue with them. And she says, you can teach whatever his name is how to play. He already agreed to it. I just think that's kind of funny because, you know, that dude's just like, God damn it. I hate that little kid, but he's so good. <laughs> but he's so fucking talented. I Yeah. So I think I think that part's cool. I think there's a lot of fantasy novels or just kind of, I don't know, medieval themed books that I read that are obviously people really like music because there's always that scene where someone's in a tavern and everyone's singing along. But this book goes into music in a whole different way than I think a lot of other books do. Mm-hmm. And I think it's pretty neat. I think this book goes into music in the way that George R. R. Martin describes food. Because when George describes food, I- I'll say it's a little bit different in that George gives, I think, a little more detail than people really care about. But some of the descriptions that he has about food make me really really want to taste whatever he's talking about and i think patrick is a lot more subtle in how he describes music he uses a lot more like like allegory kind of he just he doesn't describe it as explicitly because you can't really describe music as explicitly but it is the same kind of feel that i get where it's like man i really want to hear whatever it is that this dude is playing right now because it sounds freaking great yeah yeah for sure where's that mixtape patrick god patrick um all right i'm gonna i jumped a little bit forward i'm gonna go back a little bit back into uh tarbian yeah we need to talk about that i want to talk briefly i don't know if you wrote this down i want to talk briefly about the midwinter pageantry oh yes little I have this festival down. yep how i don't like, how are people okay with it? It's chaos. How are the city leaders just like, I, I, this sounds like the plot of The Purge. Oh, uh, yeah. Yeah. Well, but there's that one dude. There is. <laughs> so, yeah, the whole city's in chaos. But there's one dude who's going around making it not in chaos. And everyone's like, oh, yeah, the good guys are winning. The chaos will be overcome. And it's like, this one dude. There's like thousands of people who are pretending they're demons running around stealing from people like groping women in the streets and everybody's cool with it everyone just thinks it's kind of cool because it's like christmas or something right and because the one dude is like oh he's gonna save us and we're all playing along in this fun theater that we're all participating in this fun little acting game we all have a part in uh the problem with it so like I have a huge issue with this actually. So you can sing songs or so you can have this giant festival where you make fun of demons all week long. But if you sing one, one verse of one song about these demons, they show up and murder everyone. You, you're you talking about the Chandrian. Yeah. Now, right? Yeah. Cause the Chandrian are basically these demons that people are talking about. Yeah, I think essentially, yeah. They're closely related. And the like Lord of Darkness seems to be the person that we were introduced in like 
we were kind of introduced to the head demon when he murdered quotes troop and directed all the other changerian to do it and he, apparently he's totally cool with this festival that happens all over the country but one right one troop sings a one dude sings a verse of one song that alludes to him and he's like ah it's a little too far <laughs> this is yeah i we haven't we don't know very much about the chandrian like we don't know their motives or what they're even mad about <laughs> like <laughs> what are true. you guys upset about you know uh so yeah it's hard to say why they are pretty chill about this festival that ridicules all of them basically although i will say maybe i don't know maybe it's not related to the chantrian like maybe they don't view it as related to them yeah maybe but they seem to be pretty evil aligned and the the festival seems like making fun of all these demon spirits and stuff i don't know it just seems like their priorities are a little bit out of whack yeah maybe i'm assuming at some point in the future we'll figure out why they're pissed about him saying or quotes dad essentially just like mentioning him because <laughs> that seems like all he did yeah i will say this is going to be a, a very a very mild prediction uh i think that we're going to find out music has a lot more power than it initially seems like in this world and i'm gonna say it because it, quotes dad does sing a song about them which I think might be a key component of it. And the way that music is described in this world, it seems like it's pretty powerful and like it can affect people. So either it's going to have some like revealed power that we didn't realize and that other characters didn't realize, or it's just going to be like, that's how they explain why they attacked the troop is music has this power over people that can make them cry. So it's a little mild (laughs) prediction there. Yeah, I can see it. I can see it. Uh, something else about uh, Tarbine. How, like, when this kid is poor and dying on the streets, no one gives him shit. I mean, every now and then he's able to get a little bit, but he's dying a lot of the time. As soon as this kid gets a little bit of skrill, as soon as he gets a little bit of paper, literally everything is handed to him for free. Are you kidding me? Yeah, it turns out, I I noticed this too, actually. Everyone seems to be so nice once you have money. Just a little bit. crazy nice. Like, there's that innkeeper that lets him bathe and all that stuff. And then he's like, I like your bar. He's like, take your money back, (laughs) young man. (laughs) What a great fella. Um, Yep, that's the first one. The next one, uh, he goes to buy shoes. And he walks in. And he's like, hey, need some shoes. And the shoekeeper's like, oh, I know you, young man. Hold on. Let me find you the best shoes in the shop. And he takes out these shoes. And Quoth describes them as fitting his feet perfectly. And then the guy's like, all right, these are the shoes for you, but hold on. And he puts them aside, takes out another identical pair of shoes, and is like, my son wore these for like a little bit. And I mean, it's a... a I don't know. You don't know what happened to his son, but it sounds like it was probably sad because he's like, "Mm, young man, you remind me of my son. Take these shoes for free that normally I would charge like two talents for. You kidding me? You kidding me? Two talents? Dude could have used those like so long ago. 
There's another there's another instance though. Where he goes to sell his book to the book guy. The book guy makes him this like great deal just because he's like, "Oh, you're a kid. I should help you out a little bit." It's like, yeah. What? He well uh, and to further your point, he like tries to cheat him out of it when he's super poor and illiterate. And then he learns that Quoth is actually smart and a dick because Quoth's a dick in this scene. And then all as soon as he learns that, he tries to help him out as much as possible. <laughs> yeah, what? People seem very nice once he gets a little bit of money. Right, you just have to display that you're, you have a little bit of cash and you're not an idiot. And then everyone is willing to like bend over backwards to help you out. It's like this is these are not the people who need help. Right. It seems it seems when I was reading it, it seemed very heartwarming how nice all those people right. were. Exactly. And then now it's like, oh not actually much generosity going on here. No, which is why I want to point out, uh, there's one more bit of seriousness that I think we I'm gonna bring in just because it was like such a good scene. Freaking Trappist? Trappist, oh, yeah. the guy who lived in the basement? Freaking saint, dude seriously Travis is like seriously. the best person in this whole freaking universe you kidding me like objectively the best oh yeah for sure he's i mean he's basically like a saint figure in this scene yeah or in this book oh exactly 100 percent. when all these other people are only giving him help because he's like he's got that money you know he's got a little bit of paper Travis, and Travis doesn't even see Travis. He comes back and he's like, I don't know if this guy's going to recognize me. And Trappist does. And you're like, oh, Trappist, you're just like good to the core, my dude. Heart of gold in that man. God, Trappist is just an absolute delight. He's a treat. He's a treat and a treasure. And you know what? You know, I think Quote's a bit of a dick for not going back to help out Trappist. Oh, yeah, I totally agree that Quote's a dick. Like, Quote could have gone back on the weekends and been like, hey, Trappist, you helped me out a lot. And now I got, you know, some means. Let me help you out. Maybe he will. Maybe he will in the future. Mm, hopefully. I don't know. Probably not, though. Um, Trappist is probably going to be dead by the next time Quote gets around to going to Tarbian. Yeah, probably. Uh, I wanted to... We So we, since we brought up kind of money, I want to do a little a little uh, Luke and Dan do the math segment. Ooh, yes. Let's do it. So I know that these places are different, like in different areas, so maybe the conversion... Stuff is not really, you know, one to one or anything like that. But the how much money is worth is just is chaos. Like, okay, here's here's our basis. When Quoth gets admitted into the university, mm-hmm. he gets shown around and ends up having to like buy rooms. Yes. The rooms that he buys are it's just, you know, bunks, like a bunk in a communal room. It's like a hostel. Right. It's like a hostel. And he just it just has a bed and like a chest at the end, but he also gets meals. And it's one talent per term. Term is two months. Yep. Which means one talent gets you a bed and meals for two months. Uh-huh. Let's try to let's try to do this in in our money. So like how much would you say rent for just a bunk would be for two months um in a room with like a bunch of other people yeah so so you're saying just rent not food we're gonna wait and do food in a minute right first let's do rent so just rent 
for two months, maybe like three hundred dollars. Okay, sure. Because because we're assuming he's also getting maybe like a little discount because he's at the university, and then, you know, it's not a good room. Yeah. And then let's see, two months. I'm gonna say sixty days, three meals a day. That's 180 meals. Uh huh. Let's say he's doing it on the cheap, three dollars a meal. I mean, I think you could go a buck fifty a meal. Yeah. Okay. They are having they're having like beans and bread all the yeah. time. Yeah. A buck fifty a meal. That's another two hundred seventy dollars. Okay. So we're saying, so we're a, saying a, a talent is like, let's just say $600. Yeah, that seems about right. Sure. These shoes that this dude is about to sell him cost two talents? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Luke, Luke, he's trying to sell him some Yeezy 2s. <laughs> well, great reference there. Yeah, it's actually not that outlandish for shoes, at least in our modern day and age. Like, I think people spend $1,200 on shoes nowadays right do they i think so there are some sneakerheads out there yeah well and so maybe that what this says to me is that quoth went into a like sneaker store he didn't just go into like a shoes store he saw some sweet kicks and was like "Ooh, i could really use some air jordans right now yeah that's fair so maybe okay, I, sure. I think quoth might be a sneakerhead he also sells this book for i forget how much exactly it is two talents again yeah that must be a good book (laughs) i think he what he says is he he like loaned it to him for two talents because well it's like he sells it for two talents but he has the guy has to hold it for like a month or something and then if quoth doesn't come back to get it then it's just that guy so he essentially sells it for two talents right which two talents for a book and this dude is a bookseller so he's buying this book and then gonna sell it again to make money Uh uh-huh that book's like fifteen hundred dollars easy man the other thing so he's in he goes to the rich district exactly one time uh in his time in tarbine and a woman there i think she gives him an iron jot is the thing that he is super excited about and we learn earlier that the coinage is i think we learned earlier it's basically like the metric system where 10 iron jots is worth one talent that means she gives him like 60 dollars not too shabby yeah luke even if i got my ass handed to me by some guard if i got 60 dollars being there like he was there five minutes you just get good at running away from the guards. You kidding me? I'm, yeah, seriously. And this isn't even, I mean, they're on the edge of, I think, Hillside mm-hmm. is what it's called. So presumably those aren't even the richest people. Oof. You don't even have to go that often. Right? <laughs> right. I think that I, this guy, whoever is running Tarbian has some work to do. Taxes need to be raised. Or the or the interest rate needs to go up because maybe down. I don't know how economy works. I'm I'm not I'm not sure either. There's there needs to be some entitlement programs or something. I don't really like the term entitlement programs, but something's got to be done. For something's got to change. Something's got to change in this world, Luke. Get it together, Tarbian. Okay, let's talk about let's talk about Scarpy for a second, the mm-hmm. storyteller. Mm-hmm. I don't have much on him. It was a cool story that he told, I guess, 
just you know gives us information on history and that kind of thing i just wanted to say have you ever heard a storyteller like there's not we don't really have storytellers no there was a friend of mine when i was in like elementary school his Uh dad was a storyteller i guess it was just a hobby of his yeah and when we would go on i don't know camping trips or something and he would tell a story it was awesome (laughs) i don't know if i would like it as much now Uh uh-huh but i just want to say i think there's a little niche out there in i don't know hipster communities for people to get really good at storytelling as a career oh 100 percent. well i don't know about a career luke okay maybe not a career but because like can you imagine somebody asks you what you do and you're like yeah well i'm a storyteller and it's like what do you mean you're a you're a story what do you mean well you know i remember i memorize stories that other people have written and then i tell them really good <laughs> really really good or, I mean, you could write your own. Like, what if the third book of The Name of the Wind doesn't come out on paper? Patrick Rothfuss is just traveling he, around. He travels town to town with a tambourine. I'm saying he makes more money being a storyteller for his last book than publishing it. You know what kills storytellers, though, Luke? <laughs> like re- like recording devices? Freaking YouTube. <laughs> yeah, it's done. It's over. He tells it one time. And it's like, all right, well, good luck telling that anywhere else. Yo, he could, he could make some rules. People follow rules. Nobody follows rules, Luke. <laughs> it's just an idea, okay, Patrick? If you're listening to it, to this, I don't know. Think about it. Um, oh, Patrick, as as another voice to just throw my weight, you know, throw my, throw my copper penny in the in the pot, copper jot. It's actually a copper jot, I think, and it's an iron penny. Yeah throw my iron penny in the pot maybe just write it i'm cool with that so you know now we can two people can differ in opinion that's fine that's yeah that's something luke uh we're gonna move away from storytelling now fair how are they whipping students and getting away with that i i wrote this down too absurd (laughs) whipping is a big deal (laughs) This is the most important college in the land. And if you mess up, they whip you? And not even mess up bad. One of The punishment for just using sympathy without someone telling you you can is like anywhere from two to eight whips or something like that. I don't, I don't think I want to go to this university. Whipping? Like you, you could die from that not that it's not that rare either that you would die from a big open wound on your back that a whip would cause these are smart people luke these are smart people and they've decided that whipping is the best form of punishment what yeah i thought it was a little extreme there's also he you know so he almost gets expelled right Mm -hmm. for i think he gets brought up on improper use of sympathy and then malfeasance yeah so the punishment for malfeasance was i don't know some some amount of whips and also expulsion expulsion how if you're getting expelled how are you letting them whip you yeah why are you gonna stay for the whips i'm leaving (laughs) i'm not getting eight whips and then leaving no i'm leaving now 
this is exactly the th- the thought I had at this scene is is if he got expelled, he's just gonna walk out. It's like it's like, like you have no power over him yeah. when he's expelled. You could say whatever number whips you want. Fine. I'm out of here. Bye. Also, if if you're like a well well off student and you don't really need the university and you get in trouble and they're like, Yeah, we're gonna whip you four times. No. I'm leaving. This is barbaric. How dare you? This is I'm glad you, I'm glad you brought this up because this is absurd. Because the this university is seen as like super progressive in terms of science, all of that kind of thing. Like you would think the dude that's in in charge of healing everybody or the medicine school would be like, let's not do this. <laughs> this is horrible. <laughs> Stop whipping the students, please. It's causing a lot of medical problems. The other thing, and the the modern punishments that we have are productive. Like, sure, you mess up. You have to do the shitty job no one else wants to do. But those people who they pay, like, iron pennies to clean out the horse stalls and shit, they're watching people get whipped and, like, these assholes. Like, come on. I don't want to have to clean out this horse stall again because you you don't want to make these pompous kids do it because you just want to whip them. Make them clean the horse shit. It's ridiculous. They should know better. They should know better, Luke. But then again, one of the masters does tell a potential student to jump off a roof, so maybe they don't. Yeah, I want to talk about that, actually. Uh, not necessarily that part, but I just want to talk about Elodin for a second. Uh huh. So he's, like, I guess his title is Master Namer, right? Mm-hmm. And he was a, he was a couple years ago, I guess... I guess he, I don't know, went crazy or something and was put into that cell. And before that, he was the chancellor of the university. Now, what what does he do? Because it says he teaches a class called, I, I, I forget what it's called, but it has a ridiculous name. And it's meeting time is now and it meets everywhere. So he doesn't teach a class. That's right. And they just... Don't no one really has a problem with it? Like, I mean, I guess you can't really no one wants to confront him about it, maybe. Yeah. Is he is he getting paid? What's mm. happening here? Okay. This is this is what I think is happening. He is not a master of the college. He is not he is not anything. He is a patient at this place that they have for all the people that have the mental trouble that have gone crazy because of whatever they do. He has, they, they, the administration there does not want him, but they cannot stop him. Like he's too powerful? He is way too powerful. Exactly. And there's this moment when they're doing roll call, when they're going to punish, when they're going to punish Quoth. And the chancellor says, okay, all eight of us are here. Oh, wait, nine of us. And it's because Elodin is there. And he doesn't need to be, but they can't prevent him from being there. Right. So they're just like, okay, all nine of us are here, I guess. That's fine. And so they, they're they not going to make it a huge deal, but he, do, he does not have any actual position. He just, they can't keep him from doing all this stuff. 
Uh, he's just really annoying. Yeah, well, that's, I mean, we see it because he goes into his room and he spends like 30 seconds in this place that he's supposed to be locked in. And he breaks out immediately. He turns the wall to dust and it's like, all right, so nothing can, you're just doing whatever he, you want. Clearly something that they spent so much time and money building. And he's like, oh, they changed it. And then just destroys it. Right. So, so yeah, I, I think he is just too powerful for them, but he's not evil. He just is kind of, he's still a little bit loony. And so he wants to be a part of the college and he will be just not in a way that that is productive at all yeah and nobody can they just can't stop him so yeah he's gonna do it so that's that's my theory about eladin i want to talk about we we talk about this a lot but the fact that this is quoth telling the story and i'm tired he just makes himself seem so i don't know mature i guess and it kind of drives me crazy like there's times when he gets insulted by the professor or something and then he turns away and says some i don't know some wise saying there's so many times like that it's like dude you were like 15 you did not think this at the time uh yeah this is exactly the opposite of when george r, r. martin writes a kid because when he writes a kid they're just reacting to shit which is how all kids do everything is they're just reacting to shit but Quoth is trying to pretend like he had this intense dialogue in his head of like, I could say this thing to this professor, but then he would tell this other professor and then I wouldn't be able to do this. And it's like, no, you just couldn't think of anything clever to say. So you just didn't say anything. <laughs> it's like, have you, you've read Ender's Game? Oh yeah. I'm assuming. Have you read Ender's Shadow? Yes. It's like Bean in those books. I don't know if our listeners have read that. But Bean is essentially this child genius, but he's he's more of a child genius. Like, I think he gets into battle school or whatever it's called at age four or something like that. <laughs> Which is crazy, but yes, I think it's, that's it's, right. It's, yeah, it's set up in that book as like it's already insanity. Yes, one hundred percent. So it's more believable in that book, but in this case, it's like, "Quote, dude, you're not Bean," you know. <laughs> This actually um, gets at something that I want to talk about that's larger than this book. Why do we love reading about child geniuses? And the examples that... We, uh, okay, Quoth is a child genius. Bean is a child genius. Ender is a child genius. The Moadib from Dune, child genius. Oh, yes. uh, the Emperor's Soul, not a child genius, but a freaking genius. Why do we love reading stories about people who are just freaking geniuses i don't how come that's why is that such a common character i i don't know i guess it's just satisfying like have you ever read a book with just a completely overpowered main character we're reading one. Oh, okay yeah but i mean i don't know i've read a couple books where the main character just like wades through people and just <laughs> is unstoppable and it's like this is kind of a shitty book but i'm really satisfied by it Okay, this this is not their meta. I'm not. This is not a shitty book. That right. They were reading this book is awesome, <laughs> but I think that's pretty common. Where just, I don't know, the main character is way cooler than or way smarter or whatever than everybody else. Right. We we love reading about main characters that are just so badass and way cooler than everybody else. 
I think part of the reason why we love it, Luke, is because we all kind of wish we were that character. Oh, for sure. Like, I wish that I was just like, I, I mean, I don't wish I was like a dick. Like, Quoth is kind of a dick sometimes, but I do wish that it was just like, oh, yeah, I can like calculate everybody's next moves and I'm like super capable and competent and I'm going to change the world because I'm so smart. Right. Someone asked me one time if, if like, I think we or just people in general read books because, like, your own life is not very good, so you just kind of try to read something else. And I was like, yeah. I mean, <laughs> I'm not going to say my life, like, I read because my life is bad, but I read Aragon because it sounds freaking awesome to be able to ride a dragon, <laughs> you know? Yeah, exactly. Uh, I I do want to say, though, so as adults reading about this character and being like, heck yeah, imagine if I was a genius, that'd be so cool. Fine. We're adults. We know that we're not geniuses, but I don't think this is a good book for kids. And I don't think, I don't think any book where the main character is a genius is very good for kids because it sets them up to be like, yeah, I'm just super gifted and better than everyone else for their whole life. Which is why I think that Harry Potter is just, like, so good for kids. Like, Harry Potter is great for kids. Because even the smart person, like Hermione, isn't a genius. She's just pretty smart. And she's not even the main character. Harry's, like, not that smart. Harry's Harry's an idiot. Harry's pretty average, right? And so as a kid, you read it and you're like, oh, cool. I don't have to be, like, the genius. I don't have to think everyone else is stupid to be going around through life i can just you know do my thing you know i never had thought about harry potter being good for kids because the main characters aren't that smart but that's a good point like i like it like you don't need to think you're smarter than everyone else to do cool stuff same thing with aragon aragon not that smart (laughs) right i mean i'm not saying he's dumb but he's like He's definitely not a genius, and he gets called out on it a lot, which I think provides a good, healthy psychology for children and, like, people who are learning how to deal with other people. You're not way smarter than everyone else. Stop acting like it. So I want to go back again. Actually, I did. Sorry, I'm doing, not doing this in order very Get well. It. I want – so normally his writing is super – I don't know, flowery and descriptive. I would say like romantic writing or something. I don't know. I don't know how to describe writing. But I want to talk about a part that his writing style makes me cringe. And that is when he's hanging out with Dinna, the girl that he likes. And he writes this, I think there's a couple scenes where he's like hanging out with Dinna by moonlight or something he's like the next day he's like i'm trying to remember how she looked with the moon reflecting off the lake behind her and things like that it's like come on man you were 14 or something i don't want to hear about this girl that you thought was hot after you were like homeless for three years (laughs) right uh yeah (laughs) i think it's really cringeworthy yeah i mean i always think that scenes with people who are young describing like love but i don't even say love because it's not it's just like 
a teenage boner. Like, I don't want to hear about a teenage boner. It, And you know, 14-year-old or 13-year-old Quoth is not thinking what 27-year-old Quoth is actually saying right now. No. 27-year-old Quoth remembers he got a big old boner, but he couldn't say that in the story. And so for some reason, he just decided to say instead uh, she was beautiful beyond imagining. And, and it's like, dude, no 14-year-old thought that. Like, why doesn't he just go, there was this girl that was really attractive. I was really into her for like a day or two days. Instead, he goes into this flowery detail. It's like, oh, yeah. I have to read this kind of thing again. Which I think his writing is awesome applied to other stuff. And I do think it makes sense for him to write this way, like Patrick Rothfuss to write it this way. So I do think it's I think it's good writing. But that doesn't mean I want to. I don't like it. But if you had been in the room with Quoth, and if he had been telling you this, you would have just been like, "Ooh, dude, oh, maybe I'm not gonna write this one down." Oh, <laughs> yeah, essentially. So I think it fits well with the story and everything. I just I didn't care for it that much. That's just that's just the kind of reader I am. <laughs> I definitely get that. I think. For me, the my biggest problem is that he's 14 when he's talking about this. Like, if he had been 20, this is very different. Or 18, even. Or 17. Because that was about the time when I think most people are, like, having kind of mature romantic thoughts about other people. This is my whole thing. is I don't think it's realistic to a 14-year-old. I don't think any 14-year-old is like, I fell deeply in love with this woman one night while we were talking at the lake. No. No 14-year-old falls deeply in love with anyone. That's absurd. Uh, no no offense to any 14-year-olds that are listening to this. Your feelings are totally legit. I mean, what do we know, Luke? <laughs> That's a good point. So I want to say, just because I've said this already, just because the style of our podcast is us making fun of stuff, <laughs> because that's what we like talking about, makes it seem like this book is kind of stupid. I think this book is awesome. This is like one of my favorite books of all time. I know I know we wait until the end of the book to actually rate it, but how how are you liking this book so far, Dan? Yeah, this is really good. Uh this is one of the books where I have to like force myself to stop reading because we're doing an episode and I can't like I can't read more than what we've said we're going to read. So, it's like it, it's really good. It, I'm very sucked in at this point. Okay, I yeah, I agree. Same same for me. <laughs> I'm going to take us back again. I, I remembered something I wanted to talk about. Hell yeah. <laughs> the I think his name is Ambrose. Oh, yeah. The dude that's feuding with Quoth. I was reading this for the second time, and it was so painful for me to read the part where he gives him the candle. Honestly, the first time I read through, I knew exactly what was going to happen. Cause, Cause, it's so. Are you kidding me? It's so obvious. Which, okay. To be fair, Quoth is saying, you know, it's obvious, but I was, you know, he was drug drug addled. Which, like, so fine. Yeah, makes but, sense. It was just so painful for me to read it again because I was like, I know that I'm gonna have to listen to Quoth bitch about not being able to read books for so long. <laughs> And it was, I don't know, it sucked. Yeah, I'll admit it was pretty bad. Uh, how 
freaking lucky was it though that Ambrose brought a candle with him? You know they don't have candles in the archives. That was not yeah. in the desk because of how fragile all the books are and how they don't want any open flame in that building at all. The fact that Ambrose brought in a candle that day. I mean, he got lucky. That was one yeah. for Ambrose. Good stuff, Ambrose. I mean, you got to hand it to him. <laughs> one thing you... I don't want to talk about this for long, but ugh, I did not appreciate the part where Andrew, Ambrose was like had his hand on that girl and especially in the cultural movements that we're going through right now i would have appreciated this not being written very not good also how uh quoth got to play a kind of white knight by coming in and saving the damsel in distress was a little bit like all right this i guess this was 2000 i think it was 2007 or 2005 that this came out so like okay yeah, and then everyone on the train clapped for him. <laughs> exactly. Is what I'm picturing. <laughs> That's exactly what happened. Uh, <laughs> yeah, also, I and I guess the reason Ambrose can get away with this is because his dad is in a super, like, his dad's in a super high position of power, uh, and he's going to pass on, you know, maybe several million dollars to him when he dies, and then he can use it to fund, like, maybe a political campaign to run for president of this. You know, I guess they don't go by president anymore, but y- you know what I mean. He just thinks he owns everything in the world. This is it, fucking his. And it's like, you can't just do this, and there'd be no consequences, but I guess it looks like there... I guess there wasn't really any consequences so far, so... Right, which is totally different from how our society is now. Yeah, fortunately. Totally different. Totally different. Uh, (laughs) On that note. (laughs) Yeah, uh, so (laughs) we've got a couple more episodes for you. Uh, (laughs) Trust me, everything we say is just totally related to a book. The only thing that we're going to be, you know, we're really just trying to stay literary with all this stuff we, we're not trying to bring in any outside stress you might have you know none of our none of our opinions from the outside matter okay well they're very important uh but it's important to keep in mind basically 100 percent of them are just hot takes from a couple of dumb nerds 